Hey, uh, this week we're finishing up our series, Live Like You're Dying. Next week we begin a brand new series called The Divine Romance. And we're going to talk about what it means to have that intimate experience with God. I know all of you who here last week, when Cody did communion, man, it, it was moving. And uh, it was incredible. And, and the thing is, is God wants us to share uh, a, a heartfelt relationship with him, like Cody was sharing with us about. And so we want to be able to help you tune in better to that, and we'll be digging into that. But today we're saying uh, an end to what I think has been a good series. You know, what if you only had one month to live? What if uh, you got the word from the doctor, man, I just don't think you have that long. How would you live? What would you do? Well, it probably won't surprise you that I got a lot of emails asking why we hadn't done a particular thing. A lot of people on Facebook said, Chuck, I don't know why we're this many weeks in this series and you haven't had this particular song done. And uh, then I even got some on Twitter just recently saying, hey, when are we going to do this? And so we had already planned for this weekend, and we have the person to bring the song to us, but I think we can't end this series without having the song, Live Like You're Dying. Welcome Chalmers as he comes to lead that. Oh, 
Man, we are so blessed to have Chalmer here with us. And I know that last week I, I, I was moved to tears watching him baptize his father into Christ. And man, that's just so good. Revelation 2 is where you want to be. I got to tell you what he did, though. I think this is so cool because uh, he had Tara singing with him, his daughter. And so he came walking into the house with a big old cowboy hat and telling her he's going to wear a belt buckle and she'd have to stand next to him. <laughs> she didn't think it was as funny as we do. But uh, uh, Friday, uh, Deborah Crony, um, his life was celebrated. She went to be with Jesus. She had some time to know that she was going to go. And her husband was in the last service, and they had that song played. I want to tell you what she did. She actually went to Spain and ran with the bulls. She then decided that wasn't enough. She rode a bull, and then she went skydiving. And you know what her husband said? Man, I am glad I'm married to a woman who did it like that. I really am. And, uh, man, I, I hope that's what you and I want to do. We want to, you know, we want to go out big. Let's pray. Father, I know that um, we need to live our life and relish every moment, every, every opportunity, every relationship. And God, most of all, who you want us to be and how you want us to live life completely. And I know when we talk about that whole level four experience of saying to you, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's what it's about. And I pray you'd guide us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I don't know if you've thought about it, but I hope you have because we've been asking you to. Uh, uh, what would happen if you knew that your time was limited? And by the way, nobody in here, nobody in here isn't guaranteed an unlimited amount of time. This world is a temporary thing. We're temporary. Whether it's by rapture or death, we're all going to go. And, and there are lots of ways it could happen. And, and you may not realize how close to death you become. Last week, uh, uh, two of our, our, our students, uh, uh, two girls came driving in and went to park their car, and I want to see, here's what happened. <laughs> now, they just went too far, and by the way, they're okay, the car's okay, but the point is this, you're driving on the road with them. <laughs> see, I don't know how long you have. <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> There was a, a man who was the head of one of the uh, parts of the city that had to do with recreation, and his best friend was a pastor in town. The pastor needed some extra money and said, can I be a lifeguard? And he said, oh man, that would be great. And so he hired him. It was about three weeks into the season that uh, another man stopped by and said, I don't know how to tell you this, but we're going to have to let your friend go. That, that pastor is just a lousy lifeguard. He said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, no, he's just lousy at saving lives. He goes, saving lives is this thing. He said, well, come on, I want to show you. So they walked out by the pool. The pastor's sitting up in that, you know, a chair that's up high. And a guy begins to drown. His hands are flailing. And the pastor goes, I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> okay, I thought that's hilarious. I... <laughs> Another man you may have heard about is, uh, uh, was a man who was loved by his family. Oh, they loved him to death. He was loved by his community, his church, his friends, the people he worked with. And, and now it came towards the end of his life, and everybody knew it, and, and he's at home. He decided he wanted to pass away at home. So friends are gathering, people are gathering, they're realizing time isn't long. As a matter of fact, the doctor said most likely he would not make it through the day. He, it would be his last moments. But it was a praise because he was lucid. He was able to talk and share, and so he was telling people why they mattered and what he wanted to pour into their life. 
And he's laying there in bed upstairs, and now it's his, his kids and his grandkids and everybody gathered around. And he looked and he said, oh my, I smell. He goes, looks at him, I smell your grandmother's pie baking. And he looks at his granddaughter and he said, honey, could you go downstairs and get me a, a piece of your grandma's pie? So she heads down the stairs wanting to get that for him and comes back up a few minutes later with a really funny look on her face. And he said, what is it? And she said, well, grandma said it's for the funeral. <laughs> what am I getting at? I don't know. But... Uh, <laughs> No, there is a point. The point is we got to do it right. I mean, we really need to do it right. Life is a gift from God to us to live and relish. And God made you for a reason and he has a life he wants you to live. And I think it really is important to ask, well, what if it was coming to an end? Moses in Psalm 90 verse 12 said these words. He said, Lord, teach us to number our days that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. When you realize you don't have an unlimited amount of time and some of you are younger and some are older and your days may differ, but nobody knows how long they have. We ought to live our life relishing every moment and not waste a minute, not waste a word, not waste a relationship. Every second, every minute, every heartbeat ought to be done in such a way that it makes a difference. And God made you for that and he made me for that. And Moses said, when you and I do that, that's the wise thing to do. So we've asked that question. What if the doctor looked you in the eye and said, you only have a month? What would you do? How would you live? What would you focus on? And we said there are three things before we get to today that I think we would all do. I hope we would. Number one, I think we'd live with passion. We'd live every moment. We wouldn't waste a second. The dreams, the experiences, the things we ought to accomplish. And we would want to live to the hilt. And by the way, we ought to live our life that way. The second thing, and I think this would be on everybody's list, is you would love completely. You would really love people I mean, you'd want to share in those moments. You would want to leave memories and a legacy of love. You'd want to say the things you need to say and experience the experiences you'd want to have. And what would matter most to you are love and relationships in that time. By the way, hopefully, especially with God. And then not only would you live passionately and love completely, the third thing is this, you would learn. You would know more than anybody else what matters in life and, and experiencing that in a way that nobody else probably could. And so you would want to be able to share that with other people because you would learn what matters. And then here's the last thing, and I don't know if this would be on your list, but I honestly, it is on mine. I, it's already on mine. I hope it's on yours. I, I would want to leave boldly. I would want to make sure when I went out, I went out big. I went out right. I went out courageous. I went out doing what matters most. And that's God's great desire for us. By the way, that's how the saints of old lived. That's how they, they went out in a blaze of glory for God. Antipas was a man who went out that way. Antipas was the bishop of Pergamum. Uh, the lead pastor of that city. And he had sparked a revival that caused a backlash and revolt. Because of his moving of God, because of what God was doing from him, people were walking away from idolatrous worship and other religions of that day. And you got to understand something. The Roman world was very polytheistic. By the way, the Roman world was very relative. It's very much like the United States today, where the attitude was, well, you know, as long as you, whatever you believe is good for you, as long as we accept each other's beliefs. But let me tell you that, that being a Christian, we don't do that well. Because we know there's only one truth, only one God, and only one way through Jesus Christ. 
And when we bring that message, it's not popular today. It was definitely not popular then. Then, according to tradition, in the midst of a, an occultic gathering, a demon possessed a man and announced, we are not able to move because of the power of Antipas. That began to cause a movement to have him done away with. And then over the course of time, it built and built and built till the governor called for his arrest. He was brought to an arena where later on, thousands more Christians would die. And they stood Antipas there, and the governor looked at him and said, Antipas, I want you to proclaim homage to Caesar. And how would he do that? All he was asked to do was this, take a pinch of salt and drop it in the fire. Didn't have to say a word. Pinch of salt, drop in the fire, saying, Caesar's Lord. If he did that, he would live. But I want you to know that someone who has a true relationship with God will not taint it. They will not back down for a second. That's when we talk about level four. It's all for God. Nothing held back. He refused to do it. And then the man began to beg with him. The governor said, Antipas, you need to do this. All you need to do, drop the salt in there and you can live. You can walk away. You can even have your Jesus as long as you agree the other gods are okay. And he wouldn't do it. And finally, the governor stood and screamed, Antipas, don't you realize the world is against you? And Antipas looked back and said, then Antipas is against the world. He wouldn't bend. They stripped him nude. They opened up a hollowed out uh, uh, bull that was bronze. And they shoved him inside and they locked it shut. And they built a fire underneath. And, and all he had to do to get out was to pound and say, I, I will. I, I'll drop the pinch. Just pounding on the bull would let him out. And as the fire began to burn and he literally cooked inside, he refused to back down. Now, I want you to know, and you'd probably already know this, that there was a, a, a series of events that occurred time and again where the martyrs were killed for God and they refused to stop. Occasion after occasion under Caligula and Nero and other Caesars attacking Christians, trying to exterminate them, and they refused to back down and refused to bend, and they would never, ever quit. And Antipas was one who had begun that. Jesus says this about Antipas in Revelation 2, verse 13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Jesus said this, he said, he is my witness. The word witness is where we get the Greek word, or the English word martyr. It's literally the word martyr. It means one who is a witness of Christ and speaks out for him. But at but it, it, that day and at that time, if you were caught doing that, it cost you your life. So the word began to be used of one who would die for a cause who would die for a reason, who would die for our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church began to celebrate them. Jesus celebrated them. And the church did too. And so the earliest Christian holiday we know of is called All Saints Day. And it's where we would honor those who love God so much they would give their life for him, who would take Jesus' words seriously, where Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. For whoever seek to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. They took those words seriously. And they went and died for the Lord so they might live with him forever. The, by the way, I think most of you already know this. That the beginning of All Saints Day actually happened the evening before. And it was called the Holy Evening. It was actually called the Hallowed Evening. It's where we get the word Halloween. 
Halloween is actually the oldest Christian holiday we know of. Where on that evening people would celebrate together those who love God so much they were willing to be tortured and died. And we saw that happen again and again. In Smyrna, another city that's addressed in the book of Revelations, a man rose up to lead the church there named Polycarp. Both Polycarp and Antipas actually knew some of the apostles. And Polycarp, even though he was an older man, God began to use him in a powerful way. And again, there was a backlash, and they called for his arrest, and they called for his death. And and, and according to the, the written accounts, when the word went out to arrest Polycarp, he was sitting, and God in a vision told him he would be arrested, and he would be burned till he died. He got up and shared that with his followers. It was over a few week period of time they finally figured out where he was and the Roman soldiers surrounded his house and he walked out and he looked them in the eye. It was said that they were amazed at his age. They were even more amazed at his courage. And he said, I'm the man you're seeking. And and he said, but I know you're tired from searching. I know you're weary. Would you like some food? And they were shocked by that. He actually ordered that his captors, the ones who would take him, would be fed an amazing meal. And they sat and they ate together, entranced by this man. And all the things he shared. And the fact he wasn't trying to run. And then he said this, before I go, can I pray? And for the next two hours, he prayed. And and it's been told that the Roman soldiers were so moved by his prayer, but they were even more moved because they sensed the Spirit of God and the power of God present like they never had before. And, And they didn't want to take him. They actually said no. And he said, no, you've been commanded to, let's go. And they brought him to an arena. The word had gotten out, he would be brought there. People were flocking in. The the place was loud and screaming for his death. And the Roman governor walked out, trying to calm the crowd. And according to the accounts, all of a sudden, the place was silenced. This huge arena, because they heard a voice thundering from the heaven that said, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And, and, and people were shuddering at that moment. The governor now having control looked down and he begged him, Polycarp, relent. Polycarp, recant. Polycarp, don't do this. And, and he said, just drop the salt in the altar. Just say that the other gods are okay. And Polycarp refused to do it. And then he finally said, I need you to revile Christ. And, and Polycarp said these words, Four score years and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How? How could I blaspheme my king? I want to stop. How would he dare blaspheme the king by saying other religions are okay? And can we do that? We're in a society that begs us to, and we can't. Can we blaspheme Jesus by saying other ways are okay? I hope you would say never. I would die rather than do that. And you know what? That's how the people who knew Christ lived. That's how they died. That's how they went out. Finally, the governor looked at him and said, if you don't do it, we'll we'll turn the wild beasts on you, and then we'll tear you to pieces. And he stood and he said, then do it. And then they said, well, if you're not afraid of the wild beasts, we'll burn you till you die at the stake. And, and Polycarp looked up and said, I want to tell you something. You want me to be afraid of a fire that is here for a moment and gone in a season and is extinguished. But everybody here should be afraid of a fire that burns for all eternity. And if you don't follow Jesus Christ, you'll never be let out of that. 
Well, they brought him to the stake and were threatening to nail him. He said, you don't need to nail me. They went to tie him and he said, you don't need to tie me. And he stood there as they put all of the the, the wood around him. And when they lit it on fire, he stood boldly. But the flames, for some reason, weren't getting him. And, And then one of the soldiers stepped up and pierced him through. And he dropped to the ground and died and the fire extinguished. It is said from historical accounts that thousands of people gave their life to Christ that day. Now, I want you to catch what that means. They saw how he lived. They saw how he spoke. They saw how he died. And they said, you know what, then we'll die too. And by the way, most of them would end up dying too. They gave their life to Christ not because it would be easy, not because it would be comfortable, but they gave it because they found a love that actually was greater than life and they couldn't hold back from that. They gave it because they were around a man who was so sold out for God, there must have been something different about him. They gave their life to Christ because he went out boldly. He went out courageously. He wasn't afraid. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter one and I want you to hear what Paul says about how he's going to go out. But, but while you're turning there, I want to remind you that Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. And while he was on his way to Jerusalem, uh, uh, different people were in, have, uh, the Holy Spirit revealed to them that Paul was going to be arrested. One prophet actually walked and took Paul's belt and wrapped it around his arms and said, just as I am bound now, Paul, you will be bound if you go to Jerusalem. Now here's the thing, they're going, the Spirit tells us you're going to be arrested. The Spirit tells us you're going to be arrested. They took that to mean to run. And Paul said, I will not run. I am on the path that Jesus has for me, and I'm not going to veer from it. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 21 verse 13, they gather around him and they begin to cry, and he says this, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. So what are you doing? Why would you tell me not to go? If God's called for me to be imprisoned and go to Rome, I'll do it. If God calls for me to die, I won't turn away. Paul was ready to go out boldly. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 1 verses 21 to 26, he's sitting in prison and he begins to write these words. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Don't miss that. For me, to die is gain. By the way, if you're a believer here today, you have nothing to fear in death. What happens to you if you're a follower of Christ and in love with him, the minute you shut your eyes for the last time, you're going to open them to a Savior that loves you. We just sang about that in that song soon. Soon and very soon, I'm going to see my king robed in righteousness, uh, enveloped in love, spending eternity with him, seeing him face to face. Why would we be afraid of that? We're going to a place of no more sorrow, no more sighing. We're going to a place where you never get tired or sick. Uh, uh, There's a a wedding feast talked about where we get to eat. And I'm going to guess, based on biblical sources, we're not going to gain weight. Why wouldn't I want to go there? You know, I, I got to tell you, there's no night. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's the last thing we should do. For all of you who are Christians today, when God finally says come home, whether it's in the rapture or in death, all you do is you're translated and you graduate and you go to what you were always meant to do. Let me share something else with you before we read on. Some people act like that God ought to heal everybody. Did you know that God doesn't want to leave you in this world? This world isn't that great a place. You might think it is. You have no clue. God's plan for all of us is if we would love him, that we would go to a somewhere better. 
And, and you know, we act like, well, it's a great defeat. No, it's a great victory if someone gets to go be with Jesus. Look what Paul goes on to write, verse 22. But if I am to live on the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. For I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, because that is very much better. Now, we don't want to rush it, but we do want to understand that, that when it comes down to being with Jesus in heaven for all eternity, or living here, Paul said it is so much better to go be with Jesus. He says, though, the attitude you and I to have, which is verse 24, yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that the proud confidence in me may abound in Christ through my coming to you again. He said, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Jesus with everything I have and bear fruit. But hey, if I'm going to die, it's better. It's better. I don't know if you've thought this through. But if God gave you a choice how you would die, what would you ask for? Now, I know that that there's quite a few of you in here, and and it's not wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. If you had a choice about how you would die, you'd say this, I want to die in my sleep. I want to shut my eyes and open them in heaven, and I just don't want any pain. I just want, I mean, don't a lot of you feel that way? There's some of you, you want to die going out doing what you love. You know, I want to be in the midst of doing what I love, and, and that, and, and by the way, that's kind of how I feel. Now, but, but I really, really, a few years ago, I came to a conclusion. If God would let me choose how I'm going to die, and, and the reason I came up with this wasn't original to me. Another friend of mine, one of his friends, who I never got to meet, was a pastor, and this is how he died. And I thought, you know, I, I actually have a little twist on it, but that's how I'd want to die. What happened, he found out that he had a disease that was going to kill him. And I think if the Lord would let me go anyway, I'd like to know that. I'd like to sit in with Dr. Chang, my doctor, and have him say, Chuck, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. That Those chest pains you feel that's not going to work, you're, you're not going to make it. You might have three months, five, six months at the outside, and, and that's how you're going to go. That's how I'd want to go. And then I would come here on a Sunday, and I would share that with you. Uh, uh, and I really believe, because this is such a place of love and a community, that your hearts would be like, oh, you know. And I'd be like, no, 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 it's a good thing, but I don't know how many sermons. I don't have 385 now. I've only got, you know, 15 maybe. And I want to share with you in the last 15 things I want you to hear. And every week you'd come in. And I, by the way, I think this place would pack. You know, part of you would be here because you want to hear. Most of you'd want to be here to say, is he going to make it? <laughs> you know, and, and I'd come in and I'd be like, are we getting weaker and weaker? And I'd be preaching those messages and getting them out there. And then, then comes that final day and I'm just barely hanging on. And I say, I don't, this is probably the last invitation I'll ever give. And I, I, I don't know if I can get through it, but I've got to do it. Do you? And I would just give the invitation. And I think people would come flocking forward. And they'd be filling up here saying, yes, I want to go be with Jesus too. And I would look at them and I would say, oh, I am so excited. And then I'd just ah, gasp it out. And I'd say, but there's two things I want to tell you. One is you made the best decision you could. And number two, what I have is contagious. (laughs) I really would love to do that. But you know why? Because are we afraid of death? No, we're not afraid of death. First Corinthians 15, go ahead and turn over there. Why would we be afraid of it? 
Uh, one of the reasons Jesus came was to die on the cross for our sins. He wanted to do away with the sin that's in our life that hurts and causes pain, that, it, that burdens us with guilt, that's everything about what we're not supposed to be. Jesus came to die and have us cleansed and forgiven of that. Jesus came to die to heal us of our hurts. The times that someone's hurt you and wounded you or you've had pain and tragedy hit and it just kills you inside. Jesus said, I, I came to take away that pain and heal you. Another reason Jesus came was so that we might know God, very truly know him. By the way, in the coming weeks in the divine romance, I want to talk about how to really connect with God in ever increasing in deeper ways. And, and there's some things that God has showed us we could do to get to know him better and experience him more. And we'll get into that in the coming weeks. But don't miss this. Jesus also came to conquer death. He came to take away the sting of death, the pain of death from us. And that's why when someone does go, there is a, a void that we feel, and, and that's because we love them. But, but the, we don't have the failure. We don't have the defeat. We don't have that same sting that everybody else has. And that's what Paul's talking about, because Paul says that you and I are made to be swallowed up in the immortal. You and I are to be transformed into the imperishable. And so God's great desire is to do that with you either when you die or at the rapture. Now, if you're not sure what the rapture is, that's where Jesus calls for all believers to be caught up together out of this world in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. Look what Paul says about that and about Jesus' conquest of death in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15. Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Now that means we're not going to all die. The word sleep's referring to death. We will not all, not all believers will die, but we will all be changed. Whether you die or whether you're raptured, there will be a change, a transformation. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. When, when that happens, we're caught up. If you're already dead, you're just caught up into the presence of the Lord, transformed and imperishable to be with him forever. If you're alive, it happens in a moment, in a twinkling of time. And it says this in verse 53, for this perishable must put on imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable has put on the imperishable and this mortal uh, will I put on immortality then will come about the saying what is it death is swallowed up in victory death is swallowed up in victory and then he says oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. He says, live your life fully for God. Don't hold back. Give everything you have to it. Why? Because there are those who are going to die and be caught up to be with the Lord immediately when they die. There are those who are going to be alive and all of a sudden the rapture will happen and just all will be. <clears throat> the word moment is the word Adam. And an Adam of time You'll be in, in God's presence. You'll, you'll experience him and his love. And you know, I don't know when it's going to occur. We know there are certain things delaying it. One thing that's delaying it is that there are certain things that Jesus has to accomplish in this world. Another thing is delaying it is we're told by Peter that God is not slow about his promise, but he's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So we know there's one last person to be reached. By the way, I always think, what if you're here today? What if you're the last person 
And, I, and you raise your hand and you pray that prayer and we open our eyes and we're all in heaven. Maybe God will wait for your baptism. Be buried with Christ, pow, we all go, you know. And by the way, if you're here, uh, hurry. We're, we're tired of waiting. <laughs> but, but God has the last person to reach. And uh, uh, God's desire is for you and I to know whether it's through death or the rapture, victory is found in Jesus and death cannot hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. And when you go to be with him, you're swallowed up in light and in love in ways that are unimaginable. Paul said he wanted to go out boldly. Paul said that he wanted to end well. And I hope that you would want to end your life well. You live it every single day so when if you were to go, there's nothing left behind. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 5 it says, Paul's talking to Timothy and he says, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. To all who love his appearing. If you love the fact that Jesus came and you love him, if you love the fact he's coming back, it says this is for you. And you could say, I fought the good fight. I finished the faith. You know, Jesus is going to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why? Because you live in such a way that you're going to go out ready. You're going to go out boldly. You're going to go out right. I've watched that happen time and time again. But one in particular was Missy. Uh, Back when Pam and I were on staff at Not Avenue Christian Church, we were a, a part of a group of people that helped lead Missy to the Lord. And, uh, man, I'll talk about a vibrant girl. She was an amazing athlete, ended up getting a full-ride scholarship in softball to Cal State 